0: All right, so another quick question, quick test. How many in this room were ever Boy Scouts or Cub Scouts? If you're a girl, raising your hand. <laughs> so, you know, so, but, but, but a pretty good amount. So, so how many then of the Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts, and Weeblows, wee blows our nose is what we used to say all the time when we were Weeblows, um, how, how many can, can remember the Ten Essentials? Right? Shives over there is like, yeah, I remember four. You know what I mean? <laughs> remembering the Ten Essentials is like remembering the Ten Commandments, right? You know they're important. You could probably scratch off six or seven, you know. But, but it, my, my, my son right now, he's in scouting, and uh, he is on a trip to Shai Shai Beach. I think that's what it is. And, and and what a great weekend for that! And um, so so he's there. so on on Thursday night we're, we're we're packing his stuff and he needs his ten essentials. You know what I mean? He looks at me, and goes, "What are my ten essentials?" And I'm like, "You're the scout, you know? Like, you're gonna want to know more than me. I'm gonna be dry in a house. You're, you're gonna you want ten essentials." And so he goes online or whatever and he looks up his ten essentials, and it was kind of illuminating to know like what you need. And then one of them was sunscreen. So, and he's like, dad, I don't need this, you know? And I'm like, "Uh, I don't know, son. You just, it's an essential. You might want it, you know? And those extra eight ounces are going to weigh you down pretty heavy. So, um, you know, so he he packed up his 10 essentials and everything else, and he was ready to go. But, you know, I I was thinking about this whole idea of those 10 essentials that he needed to survive. Because I was really telling him that. Like, I was trying to freak him out a little bit. He's 11, treating it a little casually. I'm like, dude, you're going to the woods. Like one of his essentials is his knife. He's like, I don't need to bring that. I'm like, dude, there's animals, man. You want to at least have some fighting chance of like a bear attacks. At least I can say my kid stabbed it four times before he died, you know? So I'm like, you you got to get on board with your essentials. Grab your knife, man. Get your big knife, not your little knife, not your little kid knife that goes on a keychain. Get your dagger, you know, like that, you know. And so we were kind of arguing about it and that kind of thing, but he got all of his essentials together. And, and I told him like, man, this is, you know, this is serious. This is dangerous. You got to be ready. Everything else. And by the end, I, I think he was excited and really thought like I should also prepare his memorial um, because it's like, you're putting a lot of pressure on me as a little kid to just go camping for a couple of days, you know, so so he has his essentials, right and, and I love that word essential. in fact, uh, putting up the definition on the screen, essential means absolutely necessary, extremely important, indispensable, yes, even the sunscreen, indispensable, right. Some of the synonyms are uh, fundamental, substantial, basic, main material, right? And so for my son to go, those were the absolutes. And, And yet as a church and as a people, as followers of Jesus, as we think about what this means, we know that there are essentials that we are to have in life. We're to have certain things shoved in our pack that we take throughout the journey. For the highs and the lows, the good, the bad, ugly people, pleasant people, all the stuff we'll face, we'll need certain things that we know are essential. And we want to be positive about those. And and see, I bring this whole thing up, and I'm making a little bit of a stink of it, because as I thought about it this week, I thought, you know what? Um, Are we even aware of what should be in our pack in life? I mean, do we really know for certain what the essentials are that we should care about? Because, see, as Americans in particular, we're very busy, and we take on a lot of stuff. We keep building bigger houses all the time as a culture for more of our stuff. And then we have big houses, and then we have big storage units, and we have big property. Put our other stuff under tarps. We have all this stuff, especially Duval. Um, that's the only purpose for property in Duval, all right? So... Uh, Lots of stuff, and and, and pretty soon when you start to amass more things and get more ideas and have more information and more data, you're uh, kind of beck and call, we can start thinking either everything is essential, or we start thinking very few things are really essential, but we're not sure how to judge. What really counts, what really matters, what we really want to fight for, die for, be concerned with. And so I realized that what it requires of us is to uh, dig deep, pause, really ponder, right? Allow some decompression so we can look around with some objectivity and say, all right, if it's all about Jesus, if I follow Jesus and it's all about Jesus, then what are those things that Jesus says are essential? legitimately essential, not just good or nice or important, but those things that are purposeful, those things that are to be protected, those things that are to be promoted, right? Those essentials. And I'm realizing in my own life, because I'm I'm putting myself through this test, I mean, obviously, uh, my my, my recent life has required me to do a lot of assessment. It's funny, if I just sit on that, you all giggle more and more. That's not... I'm standing here. All right? So, um, yeah, no, I'm kidding. So, it's true, though, right? And you know it. It's true. And, and, and even so, as I, I was thinking about some of that stuff, I thought, okay, how do I judge them? what's essential? And I thought, okay, well, maybe if I start with the fundamental that I say, the most essential thing isn't a thing, it's a person, and he's God, he's Jesus, he's Holy Spirit. Maybe I need to judge my essentials based on what he says the essentials are. Not so much my opinions, but his thoughts, opinions, standards, goals for my life. That those things are going to illuminate me to what is most essential. And so that's what this whole series is about. In fact, if you have a Bible right now, you can open it up to the book of
1: Titus.
0: It's a good manly warrior gladiator name. I love that Titus. And so we are going to be in the book of Titus, we are going to look at four essentials in the book of Titus, and it will take us 16 weeks because we're slow, all right? So we are going to be hanging out in this book for a while, and we are going to look at four very important essentials. And the first essential we are going to look at for the next three weeks and I think it is the crux essential. It is the center from which all other essentials will flow. If it's all about Jesus, then this essential is of first importance. And that essential is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the person of Jesus, that is essential. More than your job, more than your house, more than your health, more than your 401 or your 104, whatever it is now, you know, more than any of that. More than any family relationship, anything else. The gospel is essential. In fact, Paul, when he writes about the gospel, says it is of first importance. First importance. It says, of all the things I could stress and push and mandate and encourage, the gospel. The question, I think, in that is, what is the essential gospel, right? Well, what, what, what is the real essence of the essential gospel? And I say this because you know what happens so often in our lives? We look as Christians at the gospel, and we see it as the getting in message. The gospel gets us into God. The gospel gets us into church. The gospel gets us into heaven. The gospel gets us into that whole relationship thing. The gospel gets us in. And I think we lose sight at times unintentionally that the gospel is not simply a message that gets us in. The gospel is everything. It's literally everything. It is every part of our faith. It is every part of our experience. If we follow Jesus, it is the everything. And it's not just about the death and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is more. And the gospel plays all the time in our life. All The time. It doesn't matter. In fact, if you go to our website, you'll see we've written a creed uh, as a church. And in that creed, we talk about the gospel. And we say the gospel is Jesus, the God man, born of a virgin mom. And Jesus is the tempted who yet stood perfect and never sinned. He's Jesus, the preacher, the healer, the confronter, and the lover. He's Jesus, the slaughtered because of our sins. He's Jesus, the cursed to suffer our hell. He's Jesus the buried in the heart of the earth. He's Jesus the risen through the power of God. He's Jesus the ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is Jesus the victor who conquered Satan, sin, and death. What does that mean about the gospel? You ready? The gospel is Jesus. The gospel Jesus right? So it's not simply a message. It's not just simply a creed that stands as academic. The gospel is a person. The gospel is a lover. The gospel is one who cares, who invests. That's what we need to remember. No, that's why I say the gospel plays all the time. The gospel is a person. And see, I think that's a big deal for us to know and wrestle with because as we then go and we're missional, right? We're going to share. We're going to share a person. We're introducing a person, right? We're not just speaking an idea. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just a thought person. That's why we need to know the gospel to understand the essentials of the gospel, we have to understand that heaven isn't awesome and hell doesn't suck just because of the climate. All right? Heaven is awesome. And hell is a drag because heaven, that's where Jesus is. And hell, that's where he's not. Right? So when we think about, well, I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. It's more than just following. It's knowing. It's loving. It's investing. It's, it's giving our everything into him. Into him. And that's why We want to one day go to heaven because he's there. If anybody's like, man, I don't, you know, I I want the whole heaven thing, but I'm not really that excited about Jesus in my life now. Jesus, fine, he's good, he's God, I believe. But if you're not excited about Jesus, if you're not pumped about Jesus, if you're not falling in love with Jesus, then heaven's going to be kind of a drag. Really, because it's just more about Jesus. Because it's like his dojo, man. It's, you know, it's his house. And so that's the gospel. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And in this, it is the gospel that is Jesus. But in this, it's also His grace. His grace. And I love the word grace because it is an unword. Grace is an unword. Grace is unmerited. Grace is undeserved grace is unassuming i mean grace is profound i mean if we wrestle with the gospel of grace if we live really by grace because so many of us we don't like it but if the, the truth be told we live by works more than we would like to to admit but if we really come to own the gospel of grace How God sees us by His grace. How we're truly saved by His grace. How we are sustained by His grace. How we will be completed by His grace. That it's all of Him and it's not of me. Man, that can change a life. It can free us from shame and weird guilt that we throw on ourselves and battle damage done in our past. And boy, grace is a liberator. It is an un- word because it is unconnected to what we do. It is fully based on what he has done. Fully. That's why it is essential. This is the centerpin of our faith. I mean, I think about this as Paul speaks of grace in a very potent way, right? In Ephesians chapter 1. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You're not not missing out. Every spiritual blessing, it says. It says, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. It says, In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of of his will i love this it shows grace that god is the prime mover before your mommy and daddy thought about hooking up and having a child he was making sure to hook you up in some special way by his grace Before anything was laid out, he had you laid before him. He was interested in you. He cared for you. Before you even existed, that's what this says. That shows its grace. It's all of him. I mean, this is a passage that is just dense with that notion. Before you were even awake to the need, he says, well, I'm going to wake you up from your sleep. I mean, that is cool. And so... Again, all of this, Paul says, he says, he's done this, he's adopted, he's brought in, he's predestined, all of this. Why? Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Why does he do all that work? So we can praise his grace. So we can honor his grace, so we can love his grace. It says he's blessed us in the beloved It says in verse seven, in him, we have redemption through his blood that you should name a church after that. You have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which it says he lavished on us. I dig that. I mean, if there's anything that we should look at and go, man, that's profound. That's it. See, because you you look at us, right? We were lawless in our trespasses, man. We were doing our own thing. Even really good people in this room are not good enough without Jesus. Nobody is, right? All of us, black hats. All of us. So we were lawless. We were sinning. And in the middle of that, he lavishes grace. Have you ever had somebody just not care for you, not respect you, not desire you, want to break all of the rules that you've established and your response was to lavish them with grace? No, I want to throw things at them, right? I mean, we all do, right? Give me a shoe, give me a rock, give me a brick. I don't care. Let me throw something because I don't want to lavish, lavish grace. Not, not with them being so against me. But see, God is so gracious; the gospel is so potent that even when we are enslaved with sin and we like it, He became our redemption. He said, "I'll, I'll, 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 I'll do it. I'll spill the blood. I'll, I'll take the beating. I'll take the wrath." Why? because I love grace. I love to give unmerited favor. I love to give unearned love. That, that's grace. This is why, you know, we, we always want to, when we sing amazing grace, a sweet, the sound that saved a wretch like me, it should move us. Because it was totally of Him and not of us. And that is the nature of grace he lavishes that so we praise his grace so we praise and it is a rich grace see the thing we have to keep in mind about this grace is that jesus doesn't just roll in and start pumping out grace like some rich chic whose daddy left him a bunch of money and he's just a spender You know, Jesus didn't come to the world and go, hey, grace, 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 no big deal, it wasn't mine, it was somebody else's, I'm just passing it out because I'm lavish with grace. No, you start to read the Bible and you realize that it is rich, it is costly because he earned every drop of the ability to show it, to share it, to dispense it, to give it. In fact, it says in Hebrews chapter 2, it says, but we see him. Who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. We see him crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Why is the gospel essential? Because the gospel of the grace of Jesus is free for all of us because it cost him. That's that's why grace is profound. The reality is, he passes over us because it was all placed on him. That's the gospel. See, that should shape how we interact with people in our lives. When people are punks and jerks and just slanders and whatever they are, why we respond in grace. Why? Because we have a God who's done it to us. The gospel should shape us grace should transform us we should look at this and go wow it was the willingness to suffer to hand himself over in grace for our sins that we can live in the power of grace that we can be loved with the potency of grace that we can be transformed through the energizing agency of grace by the end of the day you're going to probably hear i say the word grace two to three hundred times and you know what it won't be enough It just won't be enough because we need grace. It's all about the gospel of his grace, and we need that daily. Like I said, the gospel isn't just a get in message. It's in everything. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and he says, and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. See, we need the gospel every day. We need grace every single day. It's not just a get in card. It is a get in, stay in, be secure, be empowered, help overcome everything. It's everything. We need the gospel every day. We need to be reminded every day that you know what? When I'm having and I say this a lot, when I'm having my worst possible day, my worst day. I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm giving the bird at everybody. Right? I'm just thinking in my head, ooh, if I could just shoot them in the face, you know, Uh, whatever it is. I know some of you are going, you're really horribly violent, man. Um, I suppress it. All right, so, um, right, but whatever it is, your worst day, by grace, he loves you the same. By grace, he loves you the same. Your absolute worst day. And your best day, you know, when you're moonwalking for Jesus and every, you know, like you think you're just everything's happy and smooth. Man, you shared the gospel five times and you're high five and everybody and Jesus is even like fist bump, you're great. All of that. It doesn't mean he suddenly loves you more that day because it's it's all in grace. It's all confined in he just he loves you in his grace. He's taking you in his grace and it's always level. It's always peak. Right, So we need that as believers deep into our relationship to Christ. And we need it because the great thing about the gospel and about grace is that it's intrusive and it's confrontational. Right? I mean, grace just penetrates us when we least expect it. We sometimes think, oh, you know, I went and I knocked on the Jesus door. No, Jesus kicked in your door before you ever knocked on his. He did. And most of us will know that. We're like, you know, I wasn't really interested and then i just felt compelled what do you think that compelled is that's his grace that's his prime moving in your life and in my life right so he just intrudes and then he confronts and then he saves but then in grace he also transforms and it's for this great duration through life where he continues to grow us that's essential it's essential and I love this because now that we finally get to the book of Titus you're there going to go dude I'm holding it open when are we getting to Titus you know what I mean uh, like, this is a tease man you're not even doing Titus are we well, I told you 16 weeks and slow all right so when we finally get to Titus the very first word if you have your bible open look at your page the very first word word is a declaration of the gospel the very first word is a declaration of grace it is the word paul paul you're like uh i would have flunked that one in bible school bro um how is paul a declaration of grace Well, you think about how Paul's life starts. Paul grows up a nice Jewish boy in a nice Jewish home and he becomes a nice Jewish religious guy. And he is so religious, so certain that he has merit, that he has favor, that he has earned God's love through his demonstration of religiosity, that when Jesus rolls in, and Jesus says, no, 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 it's grace. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. It's unassuming. Paul says, no. Now, at that point, his name is Saul. And he says, I don't want it. I don't care about it. And nobody else should have it because that's blasphemy. That is unholy. I need to do God a favor and kill Jesus. He was a part of the group that wanted to do that. Right? So he, he does not dig Jesus. He does not dig grace. He does not dig the gospel. And so he wants to see damage done to Jesus. And then when Jesus is finally slaughtered, he's not done. He's going to beat up Jesus's wife too, while he's at it. That's all he does. When, when, when Paul, when he was Saul, goes after the church, all that's doing is trying to abuse another man's wife. Anybody who sets their fist against the church is simply beating up Jesus's wife. And you know what? He'll deal with that. He'll deal with that. So in this case, He's going to deal with it with, with Paul. So Paul, he's, every breath that he has, he hates the church. He hates the gospel. He hates Jesus. He wants to shut it down. And then grace intrudes. Understand, Paul wasn't looking for Christ. Christ was looking for Paul. Right? If anything, Paul, uh, man, if he was looking for Christ, it was only to, to destroy those who were Christ's. But then grace punks him on the Damascus Road and says, I love you, I want you, I've called you, get up and go do it. And there's this transformation of this man, this radical alteration by by grace. Because God overwhelms Paul in this grace. And so there's this change, right? Grace gets a hold of him. He can no longer celebrate his own merit. He says, my merit means nothing because it could never earn anything to begin with. And so he goes from Saul to Paul, not just any Paul, says Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I mean, I love that, that first line. Notice how he rolls out, not with the lofty title, but with the worst of all titles. That's a man touched by grace. See, a person that isn't to merit Wants high title. A person who knows they're they're, they're changed by grace. They go, I'm just a slave. I'm just a servant. I've been bought. I am owned. And I'm just his. That's what he says. So, man, by the grace of God, I'm a slave. He loves being a slave now because he knows he was a slave of sin. Now he's a slave of Christ. He was purchased by one who wants to have him free under his leadership. And so, man, I'm a servant. I'm a slave. But he's also an apostle, it says. He's one sent, right? And he's not just a guy doing a sales pitch, man. He bought the product, you know what I mean? So he's excited, right? He's excited because, again, he's met this Jesus. He knows this Jesus. He knows this, this grace. And so the very first word, the very first person in this letter, the very first set of conditions around him all scream. Grace. People go, man, I don't know if I'm good enough. I need to clean up my life, whatever. I'm like, listen, I know a guy that was killing Christians and trying to shut down churches. He wrote the Bible. You know, it's like, that's grace. And so this man consumed by grace writes to another man, it says in verse four, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. I love that, my true child, not as a boss to assign him, not as an officer to order him, but as a father to come alongside and coach him. Right? That's the heart of Paul. And I love this. As a dad to a son, I get the whole idea. Like when Grayson and I were putting in his ten essentials, I really hope he got all ten too. Um, you know, I, I, there was times where I was tough on him about it even, like when he was pushing back about the knife or he's pushing back about the sunscreen. You know, and I was saying, dude, because you might be at great risk. If I didn't care about you, I'd be like, hey, dude, throw your Xbox in instead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Be awesome. You know, hopefully you can just drag the cord all the way out to the beach. So, yeah, you know, I wouldn't care because I don't love him. But, but I love him. So I go, I want you to have what you need to get through this trip well. And that's what Paul is going to do with Titus. Say, Titus, man, I'm writing to you, my true child in the faith, because you're like my son. I want you to do well. And Titus is going to need some help, as you're going to see in a minute. Now, some of the things about Titus you have to understand. We don't know a lot about him, but the dude was stout, all right? The guy was stouter than, like, Guinness at an Irish pub. I mean, the guy was a stud. We see little bits and pieces of this guy. Once we we see him in some of the Corinthian letters, where basically, you know, like, Paul had left Corinth, and uh, then the people in Corinth were getting kind of agitated at Paul. Like, man, they kind of turned their back on him. And so he has to send another letter that we don't actually have. Uh, Paul refers to it, but we, it's just not been handed down through the church. But he has to write this letter basically scolding the church. And then he goes, hey, Titus, you take it. You know what I mean? Like, you got you to have some trust in a dude named Titus that's stout like that to go do that. Because then here's Titus. He's got to roll into town like, yeah, Paul's mad. You know, like, here you go. I'm just the mailman, you know, and so he has to deliver that. But in that, he must have had enough skill and diplomacy to help them through this very aggressive letter. Another thing we see about Titus is in 2 Corinthians, Paul's like, hey, we need to make sure you're going to follow through on the offering that you promised for Jerusalem. Hey, Titus, why don't you take care of that, too, while you're at it? So poor (laughs) Titus has got to bring like angry mail and then push them to give. All right. What a great job. But he's faithful, and he's committed, and that's his hard. And then even in the book of Galatians, we see something about Titus that uh, this is where I just totally think the guy is awesome. Um, there's this scene where all the, the Jewish Christians uh, are, are, are getting together, and they're talking about the fact that the gospel is now going to non-Jews, and they're beginning to follow Jesus. And so they're all like, hey, what should we make the non-Jewish people do? to conform to our Jewish standards as Christians, right? So they're talking about they should not eat certain meats and these kinds of things. And one of the issues that comes up is circumcision, right? Where they're all like, we need to tell all of the Christian males that are coming to Christ that they need to be circumcised. And you look at the life of Timothy, and Timothy is actually circumcised as a young man. Ouch! right? Like, he's like, all right, I'll do it for the sake of the gospel. But I love what it says about Titus. It says, Titus was not compelled. You know? I mean, this guy's awesome, right? I'm like, I love that guy, man. He's like, Greek and proud. This bumps around, you know, like, you know, and you got like the whole Jerusalem council going, dude, I'm just telling you, if you want to be in the club, you might want to go, you know, and, and, and he's to the whole clan. Nope. I am not compelled. So this guy, like I said, stout, studly, focused, driven, strong all the way around. And he needs to be that for his next assignment, which is he's been left in Crete. He's been left in Crete to advance the gospel, establish churches and appoint elders. That is no small task. That is a huge deal. Especially on the island of Crete. In fact, I have a slide to capture the essence of Crete. Let's go and bring up that next slide. That is. That is Crete, all right? Let's bring up the populace of Crete. Next slide. There we go. Um, yeah. You know, You didn't even know they had color back in the day, but they did. It's awesome. So, um, yeah, the people, the populace of Crete, man, it's cussing, drinking, smoking, slandering, and that's just the grandmas, all right? So, it is a rough, rough culture that Titus dumps into, man. It is crazy rough. It's just rough and tumble. There's a lot of that stuff we'll see. Some of it even comes out in Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 1, you go down a little ways, and it actually says that even their own philosophers call the Cretans, like, lazy gluttons. I mean, it's, okay, like, I don't know of anybody from Sultan that rips on Sultan like I do, right? At least they have some city pride. You know what I mean? But dudes from Crete be like, yeah, I'm from there. That's bad. You know, they're gluttons, they're sluggards, they're useless, everything else. And then on top of that, not to mention kind of the rough, tumble, drinking, cussing, smoking crowd of Crete that's angry. And then you have the lazy glutton part of it. Then you add in there that some of the religious people that were Jewish had dumped onto the island and they were pushing religion, which is just crazy toxic. And then you have like what is the modern or equivalent basically of a televangelist that rolls in it. So they're just doing it for cash. Right? So this whole crazy mix, and it's in that that Titus then must step up to the plate. right? But what I love about that is, again, what is the conditions? A group, an island, a populace of imperfect people, that they can be redeemed by a perfect God. And the evidence of that is this is a legacy of an imperfect man named Saul who was redeemed by a perfect God and became Paul. Who then spoke into the life of an imperfect Greek named Titus who was then developed by grace to go to these people and preach the gospel, establish the church, appoint elders. So he needs to be there and he needs to tell the people of Crete some very important things. He needs to give them the gospel. The gospel is this that Jesus is good and we are not. That Jesus is love and takes us where we are. That Jesus is powerful and promises to transform us. That Jesus is faithful and never forsakes us. That Jesus is certain and vows to complete us. That Jesus is patient and grows us all differently. That's the message that they need to hear. They need to hear about Jesus and His grace. And in that sense, what Titus is supposed to do is... Have a gospel that is protected, a gospel that is purposeful, and a gospel that is proclaimed. And we're going to unpack this more over the next couple of weeks. Uh, We're going to stay just in these first four verses. You're like, yep, we are slow. Um, But I want you to understand how that unfolds, that idea, first of all, of a protected gospel. Back to verse 1, Paul says he is a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith. Notice it doesn't say for the sake of a faith or the sake of faithfulness, there is the definite article, the, that means definite. So all of you men in the room, when you think about your wife and you know she is the hottest creature on the planet. Yes. Thank you for that. Woo hoo. That's conviction. She is the hottest creature. Men, you, 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 you just know it. She's the one Women, same thing. When you look at your man, you go, he is the just gnarliest, coolest, smartest dude I know, because I know you say that all the time. Definite article. The absolute, definitive, end of story. When you slap a bumper sticker on your car, my kids are the most beautiful and the most brilliant. The people behind you make fun of you, just so you know. But... Um, You're saying the, the absolute. You watch Jersey Shores, the situation. Yeah, he walks in, there's a situation, the situation, man. You know, it's all, again, it's just absolute. It's complete. That's it. And so Paul here has a gospel. It is the faith. In fact, Jude and his small little letter Speaks of the faith once for all delivered to the saints, right? This means this faith, the faith, must be protected. It must be protected because there's a lot of things that are going to come against the faith, the gospel, the grace of God. There just are, it's just the way it works. Uh, We've talked about this historically. A lot of people forget that it's good news, they start thinking it's good advice. Good news is, here's what's been done for you. That's grace. Good advice is, here's what you need to go and do. And that will always lead to hell. If we think we need to go and do something to earn God's love, hell. Satan's favorite trick, his favorite trick is you can work your way to heaven. Take the good advice. The gospel is the good news it must be protected where we say it is something done for us not something we do another thing we have to protect when it comes to the gospel is this notion where people say uh you know we need to communicate the gospel as relevant right i mean we're a contemporary church we're big into culture and contextualization but we don't look at the gospel we we don't say we need to make the gospel relevant what we say is the gospel is relevant right you don't make it relevant Uh, You make, like, I don't know, a new car relevant, you know? You make clothes relevant. but, But the gospel is just flat out relevant for life because what it says is you're broken and he can fix it. That's relevant. It's relevant. It's always going to be relevant because the condition never changes. We wear what? Black hats. And so it's always relevant. We need one with a white hat that comes in on a white horse and does some damage By grace. And so he can do that, and he does do that. And so the gospel needs to be protected. Especially because we have to keep in in mind that what the gospel really is about is a motivation of gratitude and not a gateway to more rules in religion. Because a lot of you have probably been in the church long enough that that's probably how it's felt at one time or another. uh, You go, oh man, I need Jesus. Jesus loves me. It's all of his grace. I don't earn anything. And you step into the church and then in about six to eight weeks, they slam the door behind you. They go, now you're in. Work for it, baby. You know? I mean, sometimes, right? Or we're going to judge you. We're, we're going we're to hold you to a standard through the lens that is graceless. No, no. Now, this is the whole thing about grace and the gospel it causes us to respond in gratitude. It's not that we have to work for Christ once we're saved. It's we're saved and so we get to. We get to. I mean, man, I didn't enter my marriage and go, now I've got to be a husband. It was like, man, I get to be a husband. Now, there's some days where I've got to be a husband, right? And, and you know what those days are? When I'm being stupid. When I'm getting selfish, when I'm forgetting my vows, when I want it to be about me, and then I need to suppress the stupid Matt and bring out godly Matt. But really, the attitude of a healthy marriage is I get to. Same thing here. Same thing here. Now, what you have to understand about this and why I'm making a big deal about it being protected is that grace, it ain't popular. And yes, I said that because I'm in a school. Ain't. Grace ain't popular. We either like to legalize it or we like to make it just a get out of jail free card and that's it. Right. And and yet what we have to remember is, again, it is something that motivates us, that inspires us, that moves us. And so we protect it. The other thing about the gospel is that it is purposeful. And Paul talks about that when he says "is for the sake of the faith of God's elect." right? The purpose of the faith of the gospel is for the sake of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life. Again, the grace of God invades godless space and brings out inspiration for godliness. That's what it does. And so it is purposeful to shape us and determine our future, our destiny. It pays. And so Paul says it is purposeful, and we will break that down more next week. But then last, he says it is something to be proclaimed. He says it's the eternal life which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifest in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. Here's the thing about the gospel. It is good news. And what that means is news is broadcast news is shared news is told i say this because there is a very popular quote attributed to saint francis though nobody can ever find where he ever said it it's one of those right but it says share the gospel and whenever necessary use words i like to say for the record i think that's doofy that's a doofy thing now some parts of it are kind of cool Right? But imagine, like, if I rolled in to see you with a friend and I just stared at you with my friend the whole time. And you're looking at me like, What's up, my like, Shh. Just watch. <laughs> you know? Like, no, because it's good news. I mean, whoever tells a journalist, We want you to report the news when necessary, use words. Right? Of course, you need words. I know some of us, we would love that. You know what I mean? Don't use words, journalists. That would be fantastic. But it's news. Why is it news? Because we're introducing somebody, right? The gospel is Jesus. When we share the gospel, it's just introduction to Jesus. Here's the Jesus I know. Here's the Jesus who has changed my life. Here's the Jesus that I am proud of. We think sometimes that the gospel is to just simply be displayed or to be the gospel or do the gospel. I want to say theologically that's broken. We aren't to be the gospel. We're not to do the gospel. The gospel is Jesus and a message about his life. And when we embrace that message and we are changed by that, things come out in us. And that is what we're being and doing, but we're not being and doing the gospel. What we are being and doing is we're being followers of Christ and we're doing what Christ would have us do because of the news, because of the message, because of the person in that sense. So it is proclaimed. And so we need to share. Now, again, I think it's awesome that we live lives as beacons and we live lives as missionaries and we're being the example. But at the end of the day, example isn't the same as news news is news. And so it is proclaimed. And so Paul says, I do this as the command of God, our savior has given it to me to proclaim. Here's the great thing about this. And this is where we start to wrap up. Um, Paul doesn't, uh, do this because simply he's been commanded. He he, he does this because it compels him. It drives him. It owns him. He loves Jesus. So he can't help but do this. He's so enamored by the one who laid himself down for him. He goes, I just got to tell. I got to share. I got to go. I got, man, I'll go into a city. They're going to beat me to a pulp, chuck me out, left for dead. I'm going to rise up, go back in, and tell them some more. That's my Jesus. That's my Jesus. See, that's where Paul is. He is commanded in such a different way. I would say, if anything, uh, Paul needed to preach the gospel. I don't mean he needed to like he needed to pay his taxes or go to the dentist. I mean, he needed to like one who must express in song, in dance, in arts, in creativity. He needed to. In fact, it says in First Corinthians 9, 16, he says, yet yeah, preaching the gospel is not something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the gospel. The dude is like just biblically combustible. You know what I'm saying? He's just it's ready to go all the time. I can't stop it. Why? I don't need to boast about, it. yeah, I've preached all over the place and I've done a bunch of things. He's like, That would be like an artist boasting about creativity in art. They just have to do it. They just have to. See, that is where I want to be. I look at that and I go, man, I want to be obsessed like Paul was obsessed. And why was he obsessed? It's what we see there in verse 4. The way he opens this whole section, or as he dips into the main body of the letter, all of this is rooted in grace and peace from God our Father, in Christ Jesus, our Savior, our Savior. See, why is Paul so obsessed? Why does all of this matter? Why does he want to protect? Why does he want to promote? Why does he want to make sure that it's seen as practical and purposeful in life? Because it's grace. It's grace. Unearned, unmerited. All of him. And it brings peace. I want to encourage you all to bow your heads right now. And as you do, I, I, I want to lay out a challenge to all of us that goes twofold. The, the first are to those of us who have been touched by the grace of God. Right? We're like, man, we buy in, we get Jesus, we love grace. we, Yeah, that we will be people who go to Jesus on a daily basis and say, Jesus, I want to know more of your grace. I want to know what it means to live life every day in the scope of grace, to love every day from the plume of grace that rises up because you live in me. I want to share grace with others because I am proud and profoundly moved by grace. Again, that's the thing I want to put as a challenge to all of us, that we pray that way and seek those things and ask him to work in those ways. And then there may be some of you in the room this morning, and you go, I, I, "I'm yet to experience that grace of God. I, I, I've not, you know. I, I feel like Jesus has kicked in my door, and I'm here, and I'm wanting to understand. Uh, you want to tap into this grace that's extended for you? That's a very simple thing. What it is is a very simple uh, statement that you will make to Jesus in your own way, in your own prayers, right where you're at in your seat, where you say, "Jesus, I know." that I have rebelled, I have sinned against you. I just know it. I was born that way. I've done some things. I've got some guilt. I've got some shame. I've got some mistakes. I've got some messes, some of which I'm still mopping up. And I confess my sin to you. But I confess it in hope. I confess it in hope because I know that, that you came and you were slaughtered for me in your grace. You took what I deserve so that I could have your grace bestowed on me. And so you say, I confess my sin and I give myself to you. Like Paul, I want to be a servant to you, Jesus. I want you to be in charge. You make that your prayer right where you're at. And right there, he says, dealt with, done deal. You're in your mind. Welcome to grace. That's all you need to do. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for this essential called the gospel. And I pray that we will be people who really understand it, not simply death and resurrection, though profound, but there's so much more. It's not simply how to get in, but it's how we exist, how we coexist, how we go on to eternity. It's all rooted in your your gospel. We are people of your gospel. May we stop trying to earn And may we simply realize that you have earned for us. May we not be given to religion and its toxin. May we not be given to just complete silly living and its destruction. But given to your gospel and to respond in gratitude for all that you have done. We love you. We praise you. We thank you in your name. Amen.